Welcome to Life in Context, a conversational podcast where we explore life and relationships in the context of Christian faith, relationship with Jesus, biblical truth, and emotionally healthy practices. I'm your host, Esther. And I'm your host, Jill. We come from different backgrounds and life experiences and bring our different professional and personal skills and training to our conversations. We agree on many things. And we differ on other things. That's part of what we enjoy about our conversations. We love to encourage and challenge each other and our listeners to consider new approaches, new ideas, and ways to think about life within the context of our faith. It's always our hope in these podcasts to bring real life strategies, positive ideas, and faith-building practices that can be applied to these sometimes challenging topics that we all face in life. So let's get into today's topic. So today, Jill, we have a question that we want to ask. Uh, Do you want to just pose the question and we'll start talking about it? Sure. We've already been discussing it for about an hour. And the question is, how much does your church experience inform you about who God is? I think as we start with this question, I want to clarify a little bit that by church experience, we're talking about kind of the organized experience of, of going to a community of believers and being a part of a community of believers. So when we talk about the church, we talk about it in a global sense, and we talk about it in kind of a more local community sense. And so today we're talking about the local church experience, what you might have experienced when you were um, a child or now as an adult, or where you go on Sundays or Saturdays. Um, that gathering of believers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us to start out to say that we believe in the church. Absolutely. That we are a part of the church, that we honor the church, the bride of Christ. We believe it's very important and valuable. The community of believers, it's a part of how we work out our faith, how we walk out our faith, mm-hmm. how we grow and we live full lives and how we learn from each other. It's super valuable. And so we don't want to come at this question with a critical spirit. Mm-mm. We don't want to approach it with negativity, but we acknowledge that it's um, like a family and families are messy. <laughs> and so we know that there's areas that we can examine and explore and hopefully develop some empathy for other people's experiences, some understanding, and maybe ask some questions that will help us uh, approach things differently in some situations and be aware of some of the places that can cause harm or can be issues for people. Yes. Uh, I want to just, we both want to be people that acknowledge that there are people get tragically wounded in the church um, and people get marvelously healed in the church. I remember someone saying, if you were wounded in community, you'll only be healed in community. And like we said, churches can be messy, but we love the bride. Mm-hmm. I love the bride. I only work with church people. I work with the bride of Christ. I adore her. I'm, we're part of her. And we want to be vehicles um, for the healing, um, the restoration of the people of God. Mm-hmm. So some of some of what we were talking about is um, uh, my early church experience gave me the impression that God was cold. Mm-hmm. I didn't experience Him at all in my early church experience. I didn't feel His presence or or His warmth. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit. Um, you came from a, a formal structure, formal Presbyterian. Um, pipe organs, brass, choirs, pews, velvet, hymns on the walls. And I, again, want to say there's nothing wrong with that. 
mm-hmm. nothing. Um, but my, I'm, I, I think part of what this conversation is about is talking about our real experiences and that other people have real experiences. So my experience was no one ever told me that no one ever told me in all those years that I was loved by him. No one ever prayed for me. They don't do that in that particular church organization. So in my adventure back into the church when I was in my mid-30s, I had gotten sober. I got saved. Next step, find a church. Um, I went to several. Didn't feel like it fit. The several churches I tried first felt a lot like the church of my childhood. But then I went into one that was super special. I, I, it's just funny to think about. I walked through the doors. I was with a girlfriend of mine, and I kind of crouched over. I felt the, the hair on the back of my neck go up. I put my hands out, and I said, oh, it's here. And she's really funny. She said, I know. What? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but it's here. And walked into the main chapel and heard electric guitars and drums. And I was like, oh. They do that in church? Because I was fully ready for pipe organs and velvet and brass. Like I was like, okay, we're doing church. <laughs> but but what I experienced as a musician coming out of a whole lifestyle of secular music was coming into this church was like, wow, there are people in jeans. There are people that welcomed me. There was electric guitars and drums that appealed to my personal um, sensibilities It was a really amazing experience, and I ended up staying at that church for 13 years. So I think one of the interesting things when we explore our church experience is the external um, environment that's created. And sometimes we can get um, very hardened in the external culture that we create in a church, and like the rows of chairs or pews have to always be in the same way, and things have to be structured Um, or we can be a little more loosey goosey in that. And then there's the internal experience. So I came from probably the exact opposite of an (laughs) external, um, church experience as a child. So I came from, um, what would be considered a a hippie dippy type of church. (laughs) We had tambourines. We had no organs. Everybody got one. (laughs) We had no hymns. Um, you didn't have to have rhythm (laughs) to be a part of, of any of the music. It was, um, a little more free flowing in that. But um, there were still things in the environment that gave me um, an impression of who God was and my relationship with him that I don't think were intentional. I think they were a a function of how, what people brought from their previous lives and from their outside perspectives. But they gave me the impression that we always needed to be a little afraid of everybody else and of everything else. And we always needed to be on the lookout for what was wrong. Mm. So we had kind of a, a contentious type of perspective. There was a lot of, um, issues with, well, the other church is wrong. That church is wrong. They're doing it wrong. They're interpreting this wrong. They have the wrong doctrine. Mm. And there's a a group of people in that community who interpret the term discernment to mean uh, a critical spirit, basically. They're, They're critical and they're confrontational and they will often um, really major on the minors and things can become very contentious. And so there's always this edgy kind of a battle 
that in the experience that I grew up in um, left you feeling a little bit like you needed to be right. Mm. And it was very bad to be wrong or to have questions or to be um, on the other side of any issue. And so being right became very, very important. And if you were not right, um, you might not be right with God. And for me, that created this uh, insecurity mm-hmm. in, in my position. And also within this culture and community, it was a little bit um, interesting for me. I'm, I had a very good education, good training, um, had the opportunity to study under some great teachers. But girls could only speak so much, mm-hmm. could only do so much, could only question so much. And so working that out and figuring that out left me in a bit of an insecure place. What, what is my place? How do I fit? What are the expectations of me in this family of Christ? And I noticed that in our community, there were uh, frequently splits and fights. And in many churches, there's church splits and fights, and they can be some of the ugliest, Yeah, um, much worse than when a business splits or when um, another organization divides. It's, it's spiritual divorces. Mm-hmm. It can be just really, really painful. And I think a lot of people in the church find that very confusing. And uh, they find that really hard to reconcile with the idea of a family of Christ. Yes, I agree. I think some of the things that we were talking about were people that feel disenfranchised, people that feel maligned. Uh, you're wrong, so you can't. You're not right with God, so you can't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that feeling of um, in my young church. I just not not ever having the experience of God Himself. I always felt wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I just it, it was just kind of a given that you act right, be right, do right. Um, dress right, and it never felt right. Okay, so I'm going to date myself a little bit here. (laughs) But in the 80s, um, I went to a Baptist college, and um, so I adopted quickly the uh, Baptist um, rule for some reason that, you know, all the girls wore blue eyeshadow. Oh, you you were that girl. Yes. Yes, yes, we all wore blue eyeshadow, whether it looked ridiculous (laughs) on you or not. I'm not sure how that came about, but we all had bangs and blue eyeshadow. And then, of course, (laughs) we wore Laura Ashley floral dresses. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good floral dress if you would like to wear such a thing. (laughs) But it certainly wasn't my own personal style. Um, But We dressed a certain way. We looked a certain way. It was an expectation. Now, styles come and go, you know, things come and go in in those windows um, in in the Baptist, not in the church that I grew up in, but in the the Baptist church of the college I went to, girls could not wear pants. Um, And so there were a lot of, of rules and structures. And if you wanted to fit in, you had to look like that. And I remember kind of towards the end of that, I, ha- I had a friend, she had married um, a youth pastor and she came to town and I really, really liked her because she didn't feel like she ne- she didn't know any of the rules and she didn't feel like she needed to learn them. She just was who she was. And I so admired her and I didn't warn her because <laughs> I just, oh. I thought, oh, you know, she's just a free spirit and that's great. And you know what? They were so hard on her and there was so much harm. And in my, I was in my very early twenties and I didn't protect her. I didn't even know at the time that I should. It wasn't until later I thought, you know, nobody told her that we all dress like this and look like this because then you don't stand out and you don't get cut down. Um, 
And I think that that's something we need to kind of pay attention to in the church community. Have we added some kind of unwritten rules or cultural expectations that are a little bit ridiculous sometimes? Um, and sometimes they're impossible to, to measure up to. Who would, I mean, the, it, it's a shifting sand mm-hmm. in some situations and you just can't know. I think what what I ended up experiencing, because the church of my youth was somewhat like that, but I ended up experiencing when I, when I went to the church I found in my mid-30s, was it became, it really was a place of come as you are. Mm-hmm. It really was a place because I was so broken and so devastated that people did see me and love me and, and help me. They didn't try to make me be anything I wasn't. They just loved me where I was. And there wasn't a dress code. If there was, I was too broken to know it. But I, I mean, I still know these people and, and they're they're very come as you are. They're very like, we'll love you into into feeling better, being better. Not, And I don't even want to say it that way. They'll just love you so that you become who God calls you to be, how, mm-hmm. how God sees you. It, it's, it was a, I'd never experienced anything like it. There was something that happened about, I think, uh, in my second year at that church where the pastor came out as an adulterer. So he baptized me. He was my first official pastor that I'd say I had a relationship with. And it, I mean, this pastor had planted 300 churches, his wife, and he and his wife were very well respected in the franchise that, that was this church. And I want to tell you that what happened for me as a person that had been saved only for about two years in that, at that time, what I, what happened for me was I realized that that leader wasn't God. So my church experience that had now was a healthy church experience informed me, had informed me who God was, that God loved me and that God loved that pastor and that pastor falling, he's not God. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the kind of relationship with that pastor that was like, he's my God. I go to that church for him. He's the one who feeds me and I can't survive without that pastor. So when that pastor fell and it was it was hard. There were people that had been with him for decades that had planted that church with him in the 90s. Um, and many people left. But there was a part for, for now, my new church experience was, I don't come here for that pastor. Mm-hmm. I come here because I have fellowship with this community of people where I've been allowed to flourish and be the me that I don't didn't know quite who that was yet. And it was it was very healthy. The associate pastor ended up taking his place. And we were talking about leaders a little bit. And how does the leadership inform you about who God is? As sad as it was when that pastor fell, the associate pastor took his place. And I felt very safe with the associate pastor, mm-hmm. who now has been the pastor there for, I don't know, 15 plus years. I think that is a really important thing to examine in a community and in a church is what role does the leader play? And it can be tempting to fall into a few categories that can be unhealthy leadership. And one of them is where a pastor or a priest or a teacher will um, be the reference point and they are the person who knows everything. They are the person who interprets everything. And the members, the, the body of Christ, the, the people who go, the congregants, they just receive and listen. 
and they don't have that place to question. They don't feel like they know enough or they have an opportunity and they're not doing that thing of reasoning together. Mm -hmm. They're just listening and hearing. And um, that can kind of make them in some instances filter who God is and their experience of God through that person. And if that person isn't relatable at all, that's really hard. That just becomes this sort of a rote, I go, I sit, I listen, I leave, I don't apply anything. I don't know how it applies to anything in my life because that person lives in, in another world on another planet and doesn't have any of the real life issues. Now they might, but they might, but it's how they communicate um, that, that impacts how we experience that. I think an interesting part of that is it creates a culture of dependence. Mm -hmm. I'm dependent on the, on the pastor or the preacher to, to give me the food and without him, I don't get it. And then I don't, I, I, he's just my conduit. So I'm living off his revelation. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe that the people of God, we get our own revelation. It is uh, We need to have pastors, preachers, teachers. I love all listening to all kinds of, um, I mean, we're doing one right now. Right. <laughs> so I love to listen to all kinds of people that have got their own revelation about the Word of God. But we we should be getting our own revelation. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when pastors create this um, like chasm between themselves and their congregants, like it's so much distance, you don't get to question me. Um, I love that verse in Isaiah that says, come let us reason together. If God says that to us, mm -hmm. we should be able to come reason together with our pastor, with our, um, with any of our leaders. Exactly. And I think that authority gap or power gap is dangerous on both sides. So for the person who just sits and listens, whether they're in the pew or, or they're in a chair, however they're doing it, if they're sitting and listening and they need to get it interpreted for them, it really sort of stunts your spiritual maturity and your spiritual growth. But for the teacher, the preacher, the leader, it separates them from a sense of community themselves, from um, accountability, mm -hmm. from support when they need it. You know, the thing about families is our roles shift. Yes. We step into holes and needs and, and we need to be able to support each other in different situations. And if you've created this big gap it's really hard to bridge that gap when you need it. And I think that can isolate leaders and isolate pastors in a dangerous and destructive way. And it can isolate the people. They can begin to idolize or pedestal um, the preacher and the teacher. And then if they do fall or if they do have an issue or if they leave, now what? Right. We're actually, we're, we're attending a, a local church right now that we've been going to for a few months, and the pastor actually has a meet the pastor, uh, I think he has it every quarter, mm -hmm. where it's like meet him. So he actually like hangs out. It's like you, a Q&A. Uh, he has a really cool background. And um, I thought, wow, that's really relational, which I, for me, I just think church culture, families, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, to us always comes down to relationship. Mm -hmm. We were talking about like um, what what the leaders are in is going to flow downhill onto the congregants. Mm -hmm. Whatever the leaders are in, father, mother rolls down onto the kids. Whatever the pastors are in rolls down onto the people that are under them for good and for bad, Bo mm -hmm. both sides. And I think just being like, we talk about this all the time about just being authentic, being real people, real people, real relationships, doing life. Um, and and I, I think that flows downhill 
beautifully. If I have a pastor that will say, you know what, I got to tell you, I'm trying to think of something I I heard recently. I mean, I was listening to T.D. Jakes and T.D. Jakes was saying he blew up on, on somebody in one of his, in one of his meetings. And I hope he doesn't get mad if he's listening. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he was saying, you know, he got mad about something. And, and I was just like, thank you. Just, Mm -hmm. yeah, you got mad about something. And, And he said, I shouldn't have talked that way. And I apologized. And like, that's just, and then you just keep it pushing. You know, it, it, I just think when, when, the, when leaders are real, they give the people underneath them permission to be real also. If I'm a leader and all I ever, um, if all I ever project is I don't blow it, I don't make mistakes, I do have a perfect life, I am a perfect person, and I come up here and preach perfect messages. If I project that, then my message to you is do the same. Exactly. Go and be perfect. And go act perfect, be perfect, do perfect. Because if I never let on that I blow it sometimes, that I I fail and fall, if I never let on, if I never show that to the people around me, then my message to them is you can't either. Exactly. And perfection is unattainable. So that creates this sort of a disconnect with the entire message, with everything else. And I think that pastors sometimes miss that they have disconnected completely all of the good things in their message when they elevate the idea of perfection. Now, here's something that I I think is a little bit of a sensitive subject on this is the children of ministry or the children of the church sometimes have a very different experience Mm -hmm. than the adults, but children eventually grow up to be adults. Um, I work with a lot of adults who were raised in the church and have a variety of experiences that I think would shock and surprise uh, the people who were Mm well-intentioned and who were, were doing what they were doing out of love and out of service, but they were creating some harm. And they were creating some impressions about who God is and who God, um, how God loves them and how they fit in the family of Christ. And I think that that's something that's important to explore as a child of a pastor and as someone who raised um, children in the church. I know how sensitive it can be sometimes um, leaders, they don't want to admit their own flaws, but they're happy to tell the stories about their kids, the embarrassing stories, the, the things that kind of cross boundaries mm-hmm. um, and exploit their children. Um, but also sometimes we put a lot of pressure on the children raised in the church to be the example, to be perfect, that God will be disappointed at you or God will be mad at you if you don't measure up and you're going to stumble other people if you're not perfect. Well, what's the message to, to a kid? Um, pastor's kid or otherwise, what's the message to a kid when you tell them God's going to be mad at you if you do that or if you do something wrong? The message really is that God doesn't love you when you do bad things. When you do bad things. Mm-hmm. And the relationship then becomes less secure. The, um, the question about really how good is God? If, if I can make God mad at me that easily, when I make a mistake as a child, I'm going to carry that message if it's not challenged. And that's the ultimate message of religion is do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Mm-hmm. And that then that's their, like when we're thinking about a little little kid processor, a little kid processor is if I, if I do something bad, God doesn't love me. And as like, what, what does that look like as they get older? Mm-hmm. What, as a child of a pastor yourself, what did that look like for you? I think I felt a lot of burden and pressure 
And I felt like I needed to live up to what in some ways was unrealistic expectations. There was a lot of uh, sin management perspective, and there is in the church among young people, a lot of focus on sin management. And it becomes this like constantly questioning every behavior, every motive, this insecurity of it, as opposed to trying to walk in the love of God, as opposed to perceiving the challenges and things that come. Am I functioning out of love? Am I loving other people? Am I loving God? Mm -hmm. If I'm doing that, then I'm going to make the right choices and decisions. But if I'm always worried that a stumble is right around the corner. And then I lose his love. Right. And that everything is out to get me. It's a huge threat. Right. The whole world is dangerous and everything is out to get me and and everything is going to tempt me. I begin to function out of fear mm-hmm. and expectation and shame. and shame. And I think that that's a really hard message for a lot of young people. I work with a lot of young people who strongly believed that they were the original strong-willed child. You know, that somehow that anything they did that was not perfect was rebellion was rebellion and rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and this whole like burden that at their core they were bad and god was mad at them and disappointed at them and that's a really hard thing even as an adult well that's the this is what we're talking about about the the church experience or the experience with church people that ends up being like i'm just not good enough so i'm gonna leave Mm mm-hmm and I, I work with people who find it hard then to pray and um, experience God's love. Because they're so mm-hmm. mired with shame. Yeah. So mired with it. So a lot of what you and I talk about is experiencing the love of God. Because what does that mean? What does that mean? And well, for me, experiencing the love of God came to me in the, in the context of relationship prayer which was really, I just sit and ask him questions in my notebook. I say, Jesus, how are you loving me right now? And I listen. I don't think he's made it that complicated mm-hmm. for us to hear him and know him. I'm not that smart. I, I don't I don't think I have to have a theology degree to hear him because he says he, he talks to us, that his sheep know his voice. And to actually have the experience in dynamic dialogue where I, I can hear him and we work with people that we help them hear his voice and have experiences of his love. Because as we, re- we spoke about this earlier, obedience is a natural outworking of love. Mm-hmm. Obedience isn't first. Love is first. Yep. If I know you love me as I experience you loving me, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to bum you out. As I experience, like I've been a Christian now for 18 years, I think. And Jesus and I are tight. I don't have to think about how I'm not going to sin today and be obedient, or I don't have to think about what is he asking me to do that I might want to do or not do, because the lo- his love came first. Mm-hmm. So out of this love that, that has been built over the last 17 or 18 years, it's not... It's, I don't, am I saying this right? Yeah, yeah. It's not, I don't have to think that hard on managing my sin because my love just makes me not want to. I don't have to think about my, I'm in love with my husband and he's in love with me. I don't have to study the laws of marriage and go, how do I not commit adultery today? Um, how do I be nice to him when love exists so profoundly? Because in the presence of such love, obedience is a, is a natural outworking. I think it really is, as we were saying earlier, a relational 
experience. And within the church, it's important for us to keep that relationship predominant and to be um, aware of how what we're saying and doing and the way that our culture is functioning is communicating um, the type of relationship that we can and get to have with God. So I'm an academic uh, I love to study and show myself approved. Um, I teach at a Bible college. I approve you, Esther. Right? <laughs> I, I like to dig in. Yes. You know, I, I, I love the heady um, intellectual discussions and, and the topics and the studies. I, I'm not a heavyweight in that by any means, um, but I love to talk to those who are. And, yeah, and that's I, so fun. I love that process. But I know that when my own kids were going to a small private school at one point, um, it, I began to become aware of how easy it was when, when we were saying to them, so we're going to study the Bible, we're going to have a Bible class, and you're going to get a grade, right? That pretty soon they began to equate the Bible with a textbook. Mm-hmm. And, and I teach at a Bible college, and I know how easy it is to do this. Um, and, and I'm not saying I have the answer, but it's important for us to remember that the Bible is more than just a textbook. It's the only book that reads you. It's the Word of God. And, alive. and it's alive. And it's such a different thing. And, and I don't know how not to give a grade on your Ephesians class. And I'm not saying that as a teacher, we can, we can skip the grading process. But I'm, I'm saying within the community of church, we have to be careful about that. We have to make sure that we don't intellectualize and academicize the material so much that we miss the relational experience. Well, I love you're saying that because this is this. So um, I wrote an, a curriculum called Armor of Light. Mm-hmm. And at Armor of Light, we are always, I'm always saying it's the word of God and the word of God. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? The word of God that is the Bible and the person of God that is Jesus, the word. So it's the both and of the word with the word. So I'm having an experience with Jesus as I, I have an experience reading his word. So it's connecting to the person as I'm reading, Jesus, what do you want to tell me about this? And I think one of the things we were um, connecting to about was um, 1 John 4.19 says, we love, G- we love him because he loved us first. Mm-hmm. And I just hang my hat. I hang my heart on that. Um, we love him because he loved us first. I can't love from nothing. I can't love him. I, I can't do anything until I have his love first. And then I can love him back. Mm-hmm. Loving, he loved me first. And then love my neighbor as myself. And then, you know, love the Lord your God with all heart, your heart, mind, and soul. So it's that, that really experiential, relational love. He loved me first. Jesus, how are you loving me? So now I have a deposit in my heart of love, and now I can love him back. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it's this constant for me um, and the people that I work with and the kind of work that, that we both do. It's this constant uh, give and take of, of he's loving me, I'm loving him back. He's loving me, I'm loving him back. And out of that love, I can love others. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling it like living vertical. Jesus, how are you loving me? And so that I can experience his love and then I can love him back, living vertical. And when I live vertical and get his love, then I can love laterally. Right. I can love laterally. I can't love laterally unless I've gotten love vertically. I'm not that loving. Like I, you know, right. it's a whole other show. Inside but of me, there's not that. I'm pretty bankrupt. And I think it's really something that in the church and, and for leaders or pe- people who have 
um, a place and, and they're a part of a community, a body of Christ, it's important for us to be paying attention to that. Am I loving people because I'm loved by God, because I'm experiencing the love of God? Or am I just putting on a show? So this is what we were talking about being. Mm-hmm. Am I being loving or am I acting loving? Right. Because I can't be loving unless I have love. <laughs> and I think we want to be careful then when we are using the word of God to correct and exhort and to teach and even to encourage that we're always doing it in love and out of love. And we're not mischaracterizing. We're not manipulating. Yeah. Misrepresenting, manipulating, um, controlling, using the word of God. Cause that's very, very dangerous. I've had, we've both had experiences of having, um, don't want to say bad words having having been beaten right with that bible and um when you know jesus and somebody assaults you with the word of god it's just it i mean it is it's still a sword mm-hmm. and and when you are a young person or you're young in the lord and you don't know that that's wrong um, that can really imprint on how you feel about God and how you perceive your place in, in his family and in and, and your place in your relationship with him. I know for me, there was a window of time where I felt like my identity was challenged and I had to sit down and strip away all of the messages where um, the word of God had been twisted and used Mm -hmm. to control and manipulate. And I had to sit with them and say, God, was that true? Is that true? Is that from you? Is that what you meant? Is that real? And I think I really want to encourage people that that this is an area I don't want to like traumatize people. Like you have to be paranoid or panicked, but this is an area to be careful in. It's super easy to want to manipulate. It's super easy to want to shortcut and control and have a shiny penny outside and miss the relational love on the inside. The word of God is a sword against the evil one, Mm -hmm. not against the people of God. Yeah. And we can know a lot and still not know Jesus. And I think that's the message of the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. I think that's what happened. They knew the word. They tied it on their hands and their foreheads. Those phylacteries, what a fashion statement. They, They knew it all. And yet they didn't recognize Jesus right in front of them. He called them sons of hell. Mm -hmm. Let's be really straight on that. And and these are people who dedicated themselves to the law. So the law, this is what we were were alluding to earlier, is the law doesn't love us. Mm -hmm. And the law didn't save us. The one who fulfilled it did. Mm -hmm. And the one who fulfilled the law is the one who loves us. So staring at the law doesn't save me or make or, or love me. Hanging out with the one who is the law, it's a it's a both and. I hang out with the one who is the fulfillment of the law, and his law is love. And when I hang out with the one whose law is love, I just don't want to break laws because I'm so loved. But just the law by itself, you know, it does two things. It either makes you puffed up like I'm such a good law keeper, or it makes you rebel and go, I'm not going to even try. Mm-hmm. I think as we kind of wrap this topic up, it's also interesting to look at um what has happened for people who go, 
Yep, that all of that. I've had that. I've been wounded in the church. It's hard. The church was misrepresented to me. Um, God was misrepresented to me. I didn't didn't have a loving experience. I didn't grow. I didn't mature. I saw all of the underbelly of of everything, and so I'm just going to leave. Um, and that's also pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you and I have both learned how important it is to be in a community of believers. Yes. And to encourage people to find a community of believers. Yes. And it may be a different community. It may be the community that you're in, but we need to function together. We need community. If you've been wounded by the church, let Esther and I both be people to say to you, we're so sorry. Mm -hmm. We're so, so sorry on behalf of leaders in the church that have hurt you. We're so sorry. So sorry. My heart hurts for you. Like I'm literally going to cry right now. I'm so sorry for anything that ever happened to you in the church or with church people. I repent to you on behalf of that, but we love you. And I pray for you to find a place where you fit Mm -hmm. and don't give up. Find a place where you fit. You'll, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Pr- be prayerful. Find a place where you fit. Um, uh, your heart, our hearts heal in a community. Yeah. If you are wounded in community, you'll be healed in community. And I want to encourage you, use that healing to help others. As you're healed, as you're helped, reach out to others and, and recognize and acknowledge it is really easy for us to hurt one another. It is really easy for us to be um, destructive and unintentional. And so it is so important to apologize, to repent, to forgive one another when they, when they apologize to us, when, mm-hmm. when they repent and, and to be positive, to be a part of the solution. Some people will walk around and go, well, that's not a perfect church. That's not a perfect church. They've got problems there. So I'm out here. That doesn't meet all of my needs. No small community, local community is going to meet all of your church body of Christ needs because we're not meant to be just in those buildings and those mm-hmm. places. Yeah. So that's where our encouragement is find a place where you fit. And um, I know what it is. Well, I know what it's like to walk around being extremely offended by people and by church people. And I know how dangerous that is as well. So I encourage you to find a place where you can maybe let that go, forgive mm-hmm. them. I'm not minimizing anybody's trauma within the church by nope. any stretch because I know it full well. I have people on my couch many hours a week. <laughs> so I don't minimize that, but I do I do pray for you to find a place where you can get counseling, healing, and overcome whatever has happened in the past so you can be healed, restored. This is what both of us do. That's our hearts. <laughs> it's our Restore hearts. the bride. And and I want people to know that there are individuals and people who will pray with them, will walk with them, will help them. Sometimes you got to look a little bit. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not right there in front of you. Um, sometimes you got to search a little bit. But it's worth it if you need that. Yes. Amen. Um, that the body of Christ is worth the connectedness mm-hmm. and worth the love that's present there. Yeah, so good. So uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Jill. Me too. I almost think we should do part B. Yeah, maybe we will. Okay. (laughs) And we wish everybody a very blessed week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Life in Context, hosted by Jill Shankles and Esther DeWitt, edited and produced by BizVid Communications. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review and follow us and like us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. For more information on who we are and what we do, 
You can follow Jill at jillshankles.com. That's Jill, S-H-A-N-K-L-E-S.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow Esther at peaceprof.com. That's peace, P-R-O-F.com and at peaceprof on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, 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 oh,